Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. I'm excited to see that you're back to listen, to learn, and to grow. If you are a subscriber, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you taking the time to follow this podcast. I hope that it's been worth your time. If you are brand new to this podcast, if this is your first time tuning in, I hope that you get more than you expect. The goal behind this podcast is to help you break free from old mindsets, paradigms, mental constructs, whatever it is that's keeping you, holding you back from getting to that point B, from the best version of you, your greatest potential. My goal is to see you become everything that God has created you to be. Today's episode is a message that I shared at a local church a while back. I hope that uh, it increases your value, and I hope that it broadens your vision. (laughs) God bless you guys. I've run into people uh, lately, and because of the new year and all this going on, you know, people get all excited and jacked up and pumped up, and I see people come and say to me, hey, Milton, you know, 2020 is going to be your best year ever. How many of you had someone come up to you and tell you that same thing? It's a lie. (laughs) Sorry, brother, you know, but but it is a lie. It is actually actually a lie. Because here's the thing, you see, if if we don't change anything about who we are and what we're doing today, then we will reap the exact same results tomorrow. So we can kid ourselves and say, oh, it's going to be the best year ever. And that's a bunch of baloney in all honesty, because if you don't change anything about yourself, you know, and you've heard me say this over and over. And the reason I repeat things is because I'm an educator and I also psychologist know by repetition, you know, we, we can actually condition your mind to believe a certain way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I say is, if you always do what you've always done, you've always think what you've always thought, you will always get what you've always gotten. Was that too fast? Si siempre piensas lo que siempre has pensado y siempre haces lo que siempre has hecho, siempre obtendrás lo que siempre has obtenido. That was in Spanish. <laughs> so if you always do what you've always done and you always think what you've always thought, you will always get what you've always gotten. It's that plain and simple. So is 2020 going to be your best year ever? Yes, if you change the way that you're doing things today. Otherwise, you'll get the same thing. Now, the other really important fact about 2020 is not only are we starting a new year, we're starting a new decade, so which is really cool. So with that being said, you can now set uh, not New Year's resolutions, but New Decade's resolutions. So you have 10 years to lose weight, 10 years to make it to the gym, 10 years to get out of debt, 10 years to get married. You got 10 years to make it to go back to school and finish. You got 10 years! So don't set yourself up for failure by saying a New Year's resolution. Just make a New Decade's resolution. You know, 10 years. It's easy. It's easier that way because you got 10 years to hit your goals. So usually in a message like this, we talk about goal setting. You know, of course, we will probably reference, you know, Habakkuk 2.3 where he says, though the vision may tarry, expect it because surely it will come to pass. And then we talk about writing your vision on a tablet because Habakkuk said, you know, to the, the prophet, you know, God told the prophet, you know, write the vision that I've given you on a tablet so it's easy to read so that way you can reference it. So usually I'll talk about setting goals, writing resolutions, writing it down. Otherwise, you'll not see it come to fruition. But I just say this, that 75% of all the people who have New Year's resolutions in this room, and I'm not going to have you raise your hands. I asked the first service and only five raised their hands. So I said, who has New Year's resolution? Five. Okay. I'm not going to ask you, but if you do have a New Year's resolution, I'm going to say that 75% of you are going to fail. Thank you. 
<laughs> what a word of encouragement, Milton. That's awesome. And you know what? I hope you do fail. I hope you do fail because it is when we fail and we fall, it is at that point when we develop a greater thirst and a greater hunger for God. You see, when we're succeeding consistently, we fail to see God's destiny. So if you do fall, get back up. But don't look at it from a negative perspective. See that God can accomplish much in you and through you, even through those circumstances and situations. So if you have any use resolution, 75% are going to fail. That's okay. You know, Benjamin Franklin said, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail, right? So make sure that you plan to succeed. Don't plan to fail. Now, you've probably heard me say at a New Year's or a end of the year sermon, I always say, because I've been doing this for what, four years now? I always get invited when all the pastors want to go out of town. Okay, so, but that's okay. <laughs> Look at the front row. <laughs> Is anyone here? <laughs> so now I can talk about them. <laughs> Okay, just kidding. I love them. And I appreciate Pastor John letting me use his pulpit, you know, to preach the gospel. So uh, 80%, I've always said 80% of what you do in life is psychology. 20% is grit, talent, skill, ability, you know, all that other stuff. But 80% is psychology. I've always said that the greatest power in heaven and on earth is God's creative power. The second greatest power is the human mind. You see, everything starts in the mind. That's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may test and prove God's perfect, pleasing, and goodwill for your life. Now, I also want you to know that every one of us has a point A and a point B. But there's a huge gap between. And there's only three things that will form a bridge to connect those two. Now, A is where you are. B is where you would like to be. A is where you are. B is breakthrough. A is where you are. B is God's promises. You've not gotten there yet. But if you're working on your way to get there, there's three things that you need to use. Now, this is not part of the sermon. I'm just giving this to you for free, okay? You write this down. You have to practice three lifestyles. The first lifestyle is lifestyle of intentionality. You have to have the intentionality to be able to envision that one thing that God has promised you, intentionality. Number two is you have to live a lifestyle of discipline. You've got to be disciplined enough to get out of your seat, get up, and be, have an active type faith. The Bible says, James says, faith without works is dead, so you just can't sit there. I don't believe in this name it, claim it theology. I think that's messed up theology. That house is mine in the name of Jesus. No, it's not. It's not yours. It's not yours. Is that what the word says? No, it doesn't say that. It says you're going to get healed. It says God's going to prosper. He's got a plan for your life. You focus on those, on, those, on those promises. But everyone has a point A and a point B. Intentionality to see the promise. B, uh, uh, second lifestyle is discipline to, to get it started and get moving. You got to get out of your seat, off your butt, and move in that direction. And, and, and the third lifestyle is you have to have a lifestyle of consistency. A consistency. How many weeks does it take someone to break their New Year's resolution? Three weeks. What did they lack? Say it. Consistency. They lacked consistency. Now, what is it that keeps a Christian from going from point A to point B? Understand that point B is breakthrough. Whatever it is in your life. Whatever breakthrough you're needing in your life. A, B, what is the great divider that separates the two? Why is it that people don't take the first step? What is it? I'm an educator. Anyone can say it. You know, just say the answer. Say it. Fear. 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 
fear. People are afraid. The African impala is a tiny little thing that has the ability to jump 33 feet wide, 10 feet high, but when it's captured and imprisoned behind a wall that it can't see through, and the wall is only five to six feet high, and it can jump 10 feet high, the African impala is imprisoned and will die behind the wall because it can't see on the other side, therefore it doesn't jump. How does that relate to us? It relates. Thomas, if I can't see it and touch it, I won't believe. Jesus said, blessed is he that believes without having seen. I can't see what's on the other side, but if God told me so, it is so. And I'm moving in that direction. Maybe I don't see the healing. Maybe I don't feel the healing in my body, but I'm moving in that direction. Because God said so. If God said he was going to provide, I'm going to move in that direction and I'm going to claim that because God told me so. You see, fear as an acronym, would you put that up there for me? Fear as an acronym, if you see this a lot, not me, that one right there, there we go. False evidence appearing real. You've heard that over and over, which there's, there's a lot of truth to that acronym. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Of course, other people say, forget everything and run, right? Forget everything and run, and other people say, face everything and rise, okay? But, but fear, fear is a feeling that is not founded on facts. Fear is something that you were not born with. But the truth about fear is that fear incarcerates, incapacitates, enslaves you, and keeps you from God's best for your life. See, that's what fear does. But you're not born with fear. It was instilled in you as a child. <laughs> How many of you were told by your parents, the boogeyman's in your closet? How many of you as parents are telling your kids the boogeyman's in your closet? You keep on misbehaving, the boogeyman's going to come out of that closet. And then you're wondering why the poor kid can't sleep, is having nightmares, doesn't want to close his door, doesn't want to go to the bathroom with the door closed. He needs the lights turned on in his room. And you take him to therapy. And the therapist can't do anything about it because you keep on telling him that the boogeyman's in the closet. We're preconditioned. Our minds are conditioned with these crazy ideas. And they develop into fear. Now, we were not born that way, let me tell you. Our default mode is, is, is not, not fear. Job said in Job 3.25, he says, what I fear the most has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. You see, he thought about these things, and he says, now they have happened. The voice translation says, what I feared most descends on me. My nightmare has now become my reality. My father was... Had, had someone over at his house and he was remodeling his bathroom, his shower. And my father is 76 and he's been a Christian since he was 59 and he preached the gospel from behind a pulpit at age 71. He's a great man, great man of faith and many miracles God has done in his life physically. He had leukemia. He, he, he was healed from that. And he was just uh, last week in his bathroom with my, my mother, sweet people. And, the, and they were, the, 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 the gentleman was telling him what he needed to do in the bathroom, you know, this, the re remodeling. And, and the man says to my father who just turned 76, he says, and sir, you might might want to think about making your shower wheelchair accessible 
my dad, without skipping a beat, turns around and he says, behind me, Satan. (laughs) The man freaked out. He says, behind me, Satan. He says, you may not understand what I'm doing right now, but but I do. (laughs) Behind me. That's his level of faith. My dad has always said a misery mindset begets misery, and I believe that. Everything starts in the mind. So fear is one thing that starts up here. But let me tell you, interesting fact, those of you who know I'm a psychologist and I, and, I, and I study, you know, mental health and especially in youth and also in the elderly. But 55% of senior citizens age 65 and older, listen, 65, 55% of senior citizens fear two things, Alzheimer's and dementia. Alzheimer's and dementia. And I hate, hate, hate when people call Alzheimer's old-timers. First of all, that's not what it's called. It just shows a little bit of ignorance, sorry, but it's almost prophetic. When you start to call it old timers, it's like you're setting your mind up for failure because you're telling yourself, as soon as I hit that age where I'm an old timer, that's going to happen to me. It doesn't have to happen to you, by the way. But let me tell you something, 55% of all senior citizens fear Alzheimer's and, and dementia. And this is what research suggests, a little side note for you, take it and run with it. Research suggests that simply by feeling this way, it increases their chances of getting it by 60%. 60% research has just shown those, the, 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 those facts. 60%. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7, for the Lord has not given you the spirit of fear, timidity, but of power, love, and, say it, a sound mind. A sound mind, a sound mind, a sound mind, a sound mind. See, we have not been wired for fear. We've been wired for power, love, and a sound mind. Sound mind, sound mind. I repeat that. Sound mind comes from the Greek word sophoneos. And sophoneos means, in our language, delivered, rescued, revived, salvaged, protected, safe, and secure. Let me say that again. Sound mind from the Greek sophoneos means that the mind is delivered, rescued, revived, salvaged, protected, safe, and secure. That's how we are wired. But then we decide to become fearful. Now, let me ask you, what is on the other side of fear? What is the opposing force of fear? What opposes fear? Faith. The substance of things hoped for The evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11. Crickets. Crickets. Hebrews 11. One. Okay. You don't know what you don't know, people. Just because I say so doesn't mean it's true. Look in the Bible. Okay. Hebrews 11. One. Substance of things hoped for. Evidence of things not seen. See, power, love, and a sound mind is how we've been wired. Not fear. Faith overcomes fear. Faith overcomes fear every single time. Faith overcomes fear. Now, let me tell you, the Bible says the prophet Habakkuk, and if I'm, if I'm a little, somebody told me that I needed a little more enthusiasm in the first service. And, <laughs> seriously, you need a little more zeal, a little more zest, a little more enthusiasm. They were kidding, of course. <laughs> okay. Habakkuk, the prophet, Habakkuk 2.4 said this. He says, the just or the righteous, shall live by faith alone. If you're living by faith, you're righteous. If you're not living by faith, you're not righteous. This is what the Bible says. The faith, the the righteous shall live by faith alone. 
The Bible says that every man has been given a measure of faith. And then in Romans, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes by hearing. That's why we gather. That's why we read. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the good news of Christ. Or it comes by hearing the word of God. That's how our faith is elevated. When I hear a spouse say, my husband or my wife has not helped me grow in my faith, I'm like, that's not their responsibility. When I hear us sing, you know, just because a song is popular and a worship song is popular doesn't mean that it's theologically correct. Just FYI, for those of you who sing, you know, listen what you are rehearsing in your mind. When we sing something like, Lord, there's a song that says, give, says God, give me faith to believe. Well, God doesn't give us the faith, okay? He gives us faith, that small little portion of faith that we're born with, but then we have to grow in our faith by seeking in the word. He just doesn't come and dump it on us. We have to grow in the word of God, and that's how we grow our faith. Now, let me tell you that fear is overcomes, fear is overcome by faith. Faith and fear can't coexist. Fear not is in the Bible 365 times. Fear not. What did God tell Joshua? Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? It says, fear not. David says, although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Fear not. It's in the Bible 365 times. Fear not. How many of you remember uh, growing up watching Charlie Brown's Christmas? I just watched it the other day with my son, with my, my, my younger one. And we're watching Charlie Brown's Christmas, 1965. It's old. Millennials are like, well, who's Charlie Brown? <laughs> Baby boomers, <laughs> they were there in 1965. They remember what was going on. They remember where they were at when they watched it for the very first time. When it was black and white, I think it was at the very beginning. So if you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas story, it's beautiful. Now, there's something about me that you probably don't know is that because I'm a psychologist, I'm always observing people. And I'm always trying, and this is really bad, and it's a bad habit of mine, trying to give everyone a diagnosis. And it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. I, I, I drive in on, on this parking lot and I look around and I count how many cars backed into their parking space. Why? Because those are the ones that are not here wanting to get out quickly. They're already thinking about lunch, so hey, re-engage, re-engage, re-engage. <laughs> because I'm an athlete, I look at people walk and walk, look at their shoes and if they overpronate or underpronate, and I always tell my wife, they need to get new shoes because those shoes aren't for them. See, they're overpronating or underpronating. So she says, stop. Stop, stop. She says, it sounds critical. She says, it's not. I want to help them. So as I'm watching Charlie Brown, can you imagine my poor wife having to put up with me? Okay, so as I watch Charlie Brown, as I watch Charlie Brown, I'm looking at their, their typologies. So Charlie Brown is an avoidant personality disorder, right? Right? Yeah. Lucy, borderline personality disorder. Schroeder, dependent personality disorder. Marcy, antisocial personality disorder. Snoopy, Snoopy, disassociative personality disorder, a.k.a. multiple personality, okay? I'm serious. And, and, and wait for this one. Remember Linus carrying his little blankie, sucking on his thumb, and you thought that was cute? That's not cute, friends. When I see things like that, I say, he's got an issue. Now, 
You see people out now, I look at people's teeth to figure out if they were uh, uh, troubled kids growing up, you know. Someone asked me a while ago, what do you look at? I said, I'm not going to tell you. But there's some that you can see in people's teeth, uh, you know, when they smile, it tells you if they were nervous kids growing up, if they were thumb suckers or things like that. So anyway, I'm not going to go into that. (laughs) But Linus carries around his little blankie. Now, when you look at Linus, here's my, here's my, my, my take on Linus. Linus has social anxiety thought disorder, paranoid ideation, derealization, transient psychosis, okay, and unconventional beliefs. And that's Linus for you, okay? And, but Linus goes up on the stage when he's talking about Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas. He's trying to teach Charlie Brown, who has his own issues to deal with. He's got daddy issues, because you never see daddy in the picture, right? Okay, so you've got issues. And so Linus is up on the stage, and I watch this. Uh, Charles Schultz, put, he, he would put in these little symbolisms in there that people don't pick up on unless you really look. And so, he, so Linus is holding on to his little blankie. And when he starts reading from Luke, the story of Christmas, and he gets to the point where he's talking about the angel going before the shepherds and saying, and the angel said unto them, fear not. Linus drops the blankie. It is the only episode in the only episode where he lets go of his blanket, his security blanket, it's the only episode. There's a symbolism. Fear not, boom, and he drops it. Watch it today, this afternoon. Fear not, and he drops it. Every one of you in this room at one point have been holding on to a security blanket. Maybe you are holding on to one today. Not literally, and I hope not, right? <laughs> but you're holding on to something. It could be, it could be, uh, it could be an addiction, it could be a drug, it could be alcohol, it could be smoking, it could be gambling, it could be, it could be an assortment of different things. And that's your security blanket. But the moment that you understand who Christ is, who God is, and his promises, you drop the blankie. Fear not, boom, you drop it. You drop it. And you start to let go and you let God be God. Amen? Fear is overcome by faith. Amen? So... It was faith that caused Noah to build an ark before he even knew what rain looked like. Come on. It was faith that caused Abraham to leave everything to become the father of many nations. It was faith that caused Sarah to have a child in her old age as a barren woman. It was faith that caused Daniel to go into the lion's den and not shake. It was faith that caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden idols and go into the fiery furnace and come out safe. It was faith that empowered Moses to go before Pharaoh when he thought he was not able. It was faith that empowered David to go before the giant with a sling and a few stones and defeat him. And it was faith that helped Gideon out of the hole when he was hiding from everything and everyone. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and called him mighty man of God. And amen, amen. And faith started to rise up in all of these. You see, faith and fear cannot coexist. Faith is not a concept that you visit. Let me say this again. Faith is not a concept that you visit. It is a lifestyle that you possess. It's not something that you go to and you study as I would say to the Spanish congregation today, 
La fe no es un concepto que se estudia, es un estilo de vida que se vive, papá. It's a lifestyle that you practice. That's what faith is. So do you seriously want to alter the trajectory of your 2020? Do you seriously want to change the results in 2020? Do you want to live a different life, a life of more fullness, of more impact? Well, start walking by faith. Amen? You got to start walking by faith. In my, in my Hispanic culture, there are all these crazy beliefs that if you go into the new year wearing red underwear and, and all, I, I'm not going to get into all the, the peculiar, weird ideologies. I'm saved, born again, the whole thing. I'm free from all that. Praise the Lord. And so, but they have all these weird beliefs. And if you go into the new year with these things, then you have, you know, you basically are going to have an amazing year. And I tell you, that, that, that is... I pity the fool. I pity the fool. The only thing that you should take with you is your faith. And you step into the new year in steps of faith. You see, Hebrews 11.6 is very, very clear. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. You want to move the hand of God? Have faith. God's not impressed by your, your accolades, by your finances, the size of your house, the newness of your car, your certifications, your, 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 all of your academic, scholastic achievements, <laughs> that doesn't impress him. What impresses God and what moves God is your faith. All the other stuff is nothing. It doesn't move him. Faith is what moves him. And, and, and stop with this crazy, you know, this crazy idea that I've heard people say, and you've got to remind God, you said God in your word, you seriously think that God needs to be reminded for goodness sake, really? Are you serious? I can only imagine my six-year-old son coming to me and saying, hey, dad, can, can, can we go to SeaWorld? Sure, son. You know what? How about we set it up in two weeks? We'll go on a Saturday. Yeah, we've got everything planned, and I, he sees the tickets. And imagine him coming to me every single day and saying, hey, hey, dad, are you seriously going to take us? Remember, you said so. Remember, you told me you were going to take me. Remember, you told me to take me. Remember, 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 remember. It'll drive me crazy. What I would like for him to do is just to walk by and say, hey, dad, I appreciate you, and I love you because you're taking us to see what's awesome. Hey, I, I can already see myself running around the park. Thank you, Dad. God doesn't need to be reminded. You think he forgets? He doesn't forget his promises. He doesn't forget. The Bible says he neither sleeps nor slumbers. Come on, he doesn't even sleep. Let me talk to you about Elijah as I'm wrapping up this message and I have a few minutes left. <laughs> I am reminded as I look at my... Right there. <laughs> The worst thing, I had a nightmare that, that I forgot to turn it on, and, and yeah, it was really bad. I'm like, oh, what time is it? I have four minutes. <laughs> I'll speak a little faster. Okay, so let me go to 1 Kings really quick, because I need to talk to you about Elijah, and then I want to wrap it up with four 
concepts that have to do with faith that I want you to really take with you today because this is really, really important. So Elijah, in 1 Kings, you see Elijah was the prophet. So first it was Elisha and then Elijah. So Elijah, okay, with a J, Elijah, uh, he, was, he, he, was, he was asked by God to go and speak to the king of the times, which is Ahab. And he told, go tell Ahab that, you know, because these guys are worshiping idols and the Baals and all that stuff, he says, I'm gonna bring famine and drought to the land So for, for whatever amount of time. So go tell him. And when you tell him right after that, you need to go hide. And you go hide, but don't worry because I'm gonna provide for you. So there's gonna be a brook you're gonna get water from and I'm gonna send the ravens to, sit, to take food to you. So you'll eat and everything. And, 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 and Elijah saw miracles happen right before him. So he goes and he announces it. And after three and a half years, three and a half years of drought, three and a half years of famine, I'm telling you, cactus have, have withered up. Everything is dry. There's no food. People are dying. You know, animals are dropping left and right. I mean, it's a bad, bad, bad situation. And after three and a half years, uh, then, uh, you know, God decides to send him back and to tell him, you know, he, he goes back and he, and he goes and challenges the prophets of Baal, the ones that were worshiping. There were 450 that were worshiping this false idol. And, and so, so he goes and he challenges them and he tells them to go to Mount Carmel. They go up to the, to the, to the, to the mountain and he says, you're going to set up an offering and I'll set up mine. You're going to worship your God and I worship my God. This is because back in those days, they had a difference of opinion. You see, the people, they weren't sure if they were supposed to worship God, God, or they were supposed to worship Baal, so they were divided. And how many of you that something that's divided cannot stand, right? And how many of you know that Amos 3.3 3 says that, that uh, how can two walk together if they don't come into an agreement, right? So if you can't come into agreement with God, what God is saying, if you can't come into alignment, then don't expect breakthrough. I'm just telling you right now, okay? If you can't come into alignment with what God is telling you today, and you can't believe it, and you can't run with it, and you're seeking... You're seeking someone else's opinion through the, through the lecture of, of tarot cards or the coffee beans or the, the palm reading or the horoscope and all these horoscopes, and you're doing all these things, then you're divided because you're looking unto men what God only can provide. So then you, if you're divided, don't expect the drought to break or the famine to break. Don't expect any breakthrough. You've got to come into alignment with God. Forget the horizontal alignment. It's the vertical alignment in which you have to come into alignment with. So with that being said, so he goes and he challenges them. And we know the story. If you've read it before, if you've not, I'm not going to go over the whole thing. These guys set up their offering. They cut up the, uh, the offering and they set it and they start to worship. Nothing happens. They're calling on Baal to consume the offering. Nothing happens. So Elijah's just standing there and he's watching. He's actually kind of laughing. If you read, it's kind of comical because he says, hey, where's your God? <laughs> Is he asleep? You know, did he go off on vacation? What's the deal? You know, Is he out going potty? What's the deal? You know, where's your God? And these guys become so frustrated. They've been worshiping for hours. Nothing happens. They take out their knives and they cut their clothes and they cut their bodies and they start bleeding. So then after all of that, he says, Okay, now move over. Now it's my turn. He says, now I'm going to set up my offering here. So he sets up, and he sets up. He has, starts digging a trench or a ditch around the area. He puts the 12 rocks that represent the 12 tribes of Judah. And then he puts the offering, cuts it up, has the wood. Not only does he do that, his faith is a radical type of faith because he asks his servant to go and fill a bucket 12 times. 12 times. He says, go four, but three times fill them up. So he fills those things up, it's 12 times, and they pour water all over the offering. If that wasn't enough, you know, to set everything and to believe that God would consume it, he, he puts water on the whole thing. He fills the ditch with water. He puts water on the offering, on the wood and everything. How many of you know that wet wood won't burn? Well, then he starts to worship. That's a radical kind of faith. And he starts to call God down. And I'm paraphrasing. He says, God, show yourself strong in front of these people. 
And we know that fire came down from heaven and consumed everything, says licked everything up. Offering, wood, stones, dirt, and water. Everything, boom, it just went like that. Because the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. Yes, give God some praise. Our God is a consuming God. He's a consuming fire. When everybody sees that, they start to say, the prophets of Baal say, the Lord, the Lord God is God. His God says, the God of Elijah is God for sure. And they all bow down and they repent. And because they repented, God said, if, the, if they repent, I will bring back the rain. I will restore life to their, their region. So because this happened, and of course, you don't want to know the whole story, but he seizes all the prophets of Baal and they slaughter them, okay? If that wasn't, you know, okay, now we're going to get you, right? But then he goes and he tells Ahab, the king, okay? Now, re-engage, stay with me here. He says to Ahab, he says, basically, go eat and drink and get ready, man, because the abundance of rain is coming. There was nothing it was, you know, drier than the summer in the valley. It was dry, man. It was, it was hot. But what is fascinating is the vision that Elijah has. It's a vision that is birthed in the spirit. Helen Keller said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but yet no vision. That's the worst thing. She says, you know, being blind is pretty bad, but having sight and no vision, that's even worse. Now, this guy has a lot of vision on the inside. See, he's already defeated an outward victory. Now it's an inward victory that he's trying to fight for because he can't see anything. So there he is, and he tells Ahab, go eat and drink and get ready because it's going to rain. I mean, his faith is radical. See, sometimes, now listen, sometimes you've got to act like it is so, even when it's not so, so that it might be so because God said so. <laughs> Okay? I don't want you to understand that. Some of you got that question mark on your face like, what do you say? Let me say it slower. Do I have time to say it slower? Sometimes. I'm just kidding. Sometimes you've got to act like it is so, even when it's not so, that it might be so, because God said so. And you've got to act like it, and you've got to see it deep down on the inside. So I'm almost wrapping this up. So let me tell you. The four qualities of faith. Here goes. So remember, there was drought, famine, everything's dry. He turns to the king and says, hey, get ready, eat and drink because it's going to rain like crazy. No clouds, no overcast, no nothing. Okay, so there he is. So number one, faith sees the invisible. There was nothing. But Elijah's faith, because he heard God say to him, because they repented, I'm restoring everything back to the nation. Has God ever spoken to you in an audible word? Not me. I've never heard an audible word. Hey, brother, would you speak, a, speak over my life, speak a word over my life? Open up your Bible. You want to hear from God? Open up your Bible. His promises are there. So you look for that promise. He had a promise. So there was no sign of rain, no clouds, no overcast, but faith. Faith allows you to envision victory and health and a restored marriage. You've got to rise up in faith and you've got to call the things that are not as though they were until they become what God has told you they were going to be. Okay, somebody got it. Thank you. All right. Joel the prophet, 310. He said, let the weak say, I am strong. Doesn't matter how much you limp. 
how weak and debilitated you look. You got to call the things that are not as though they were until they become what God has called them to be. Amen? Okay. So faith sees the invisible. So the Bible says that he went and he put his head. Now, this is crazy, crazy yoga position. He puts his head between his knees. Literally went up to the mountain, Mount Carmel, put his head between his knees. And, and I think it's a symbolism. He was shutting out all the external voices because you know what? Sometimes the people closest to you are your greatest naysayers. And you wake up in the morning and say, God, God showed me in a dream. I'm going to be healed. And then they say, I don't look so healthy to me. <laughs> so sometimes you got to put your head between your knees, cover your ears, shut out the outside voices, and focus on what God has told you. Amen? Faith sees the invisible. So then he says to his servant, he says, hey, Go over to that other side of that hill over there. He says, and look into the sea and see if you see anything that is indicative of rain. So he goes over there and he comes back and he he comes running back. and He says, Elijah, I don't see anything. He puts his head back between his knees. He's like, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. Why didn't Elijah go? I think Elijah didn't go and see for himself because that could have affected his inside voice because he was going to see something that was going to affect him, so I'm not going to go there. He says to his servant, go back again. Go back again. And he goes back. See, faith believes the unbelievable. I didn't see anything. Well, I see it deep down in here. I can see it with my eyes of faith, with my spirit eyes. Go back again until finally he comes back and he says, Elijah, seventh time. Elijah, I saw a cloud. He says, you did? (laughs) He says, I saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. What? What do you do when you've been praying this crazy prayer? Man, you've been spending hours on your knees. You've been believing, walking in faith, and then the answer that you get from God is so embryonic, so infantile, so minute. What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what he did. He celebrated. He celebrated. That's number three. Put it up there, please. He says that faith celebrates the inconceivable. He was like, hot dog, man. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Seven times he had to tell him to go back again. I'm going to give you an example. Back my first wife, when she was going through chemotherapy, she lost her hair four times. And every time she would lose her hair and that little hair would pop up. She would start celebrating. He says, it's coming back. It's coming back. You see, people would see a bald woman. No hair. But she saw that one hair and she saw that promise. She knew it was coming back. And she would start to celebrate, even though it was minute, infantile, and so embryonic. She would start to celebrate. Faith celebrates the inconceivable. And we know what happened after this. We know that right after that, when he started to celebrate, we know that it started to pour rain like crazy and the drought was over and life was brought back to that region because number four, faith receives the impossible. Amen. So in wrapping this up, how does this apply to your life? Simple. Every one of you is either facing a drought and not for the lack of water, Maybe it's a drought for the lack of love, for the lack of health, for the lack of a healthy marriage, for the lack of a stable relationship with your children, 
for lack of finances. Every one of you has faced a drought, is facing a drought, or is about to go into a drought. But you can't escape the drought. And the drought is a place where we grow. It either grows us or breaks us. It either draws us near, it causes us to run away from God. I pray that when you go through your drought that you would draw near. Every one of you is going through a drought. Whatever your drought is, the first thing is to recognize it. Don't run from it. Confront it. And then start praying and believing. Because faith sees it. Faith believes it. Faith receives it. Amen to that. I hope that today's episode has been encouraging to you. I hope it's elevated your faith, elevated your hope, broadened your vision, and put a smile on your face. (laughs) I wish you the best. Have an amazing week, and I will see you soon. God bless you guys. As always, I love you in Christ Jesus. Goodbye.